to the DSO Connect podcast. I am Casey, and today we have the lovely Miss Darby Pack with us. Hi, Darby. Hello, Casey. Hi, DSO Connect. I am so excited to have you here today. Darby came to our DSO Connect retreat last summer in Pennsylvania, and it was just so much fun to like hang out with you and get to know you. <laughs> like you're such a breath of fresh air, and you're just so fun. <laughs> and we share the same alma mater that's right we both went to virginia commonwealth university let me go ahead and read your bio so that our listeners can get to know a little bit more about you darby iva pack is a baltimore maryland native oh so am i hey yay currently darby is the owner and director of the maryland academy of dance in pikesville maryland as a certified teacher with 21 years of teaching under her belt. Is that still accurate, 21? It is. I mean, we 22 now, yeah. Long-ass time. She has (laughs) developed into a teaching artist. Darby has had the pleasure of teaching on faculty at Coppin State University and for Baltimore uh, Baltimore County Public Schools and continues to be a teacher, choreographer, and mentor to the next generation of dancers. She holds a BFA from Virginia Commonwealth University in dance performance slash choreography and is a Maryland Distinguished Scholar and has received scholarships to study at Alvin Ailey, Bates Dance Festival, and the American Dance Festival. Darby has become a teaching artist in ballet, modern, African, and composition and choreography. She is also certified to teach acrobatics and to teach children with special needs. Finally, in addition to loving and developing educational journeys, she is a mother to her, you said 14, 14-year-old daughter? Yeah, she'll be 14, 14. in August. Yep, oh my I'm trying God. to just train myself now. Yep, He's getting 14. old. He's getting old. So let's start from the beginning, Miss Darby. Tell us about your dance journey growing up and how you like how dance entered your life, what your dance education was like as a as a young dancer and how you became a studio owner. Awesome. So I actually started training really late. I didn't start take I didn't take my first uh, real what I call real ballet class until I was in the eighth grade and it just happened to be an opportunity for kids to go to public school and choose a magnet or prime Mm -hmm. and Sudbrook Arts Center had just opened up and we uh, applied by doing a interview and an application we had to write an essay there was no audition for it really um really so what school was this Sudbrook Magnet Middle School oh I've never even heard of that that's in Baltimore that would have been in Baltimore County right in Pikesville okay so uh when you, when you auditioned, you just went to an interview with the principal and you had to have good grades and good behavior. Uh-huh. Um, and then you selected a prime. You could go to school for Japanese, you could go to school for dance, theater, music, vocal music, instrumental music. Um, and so it was the first uh, introduction to dance uh, in a public school system. Uh, okay. So it was really an opportunity, but beyond me taking dance class at a local black dance studio uh, where they s- focused in traditional, I mean, not traditional, but they focused in modeling and uh, dance. Those were their two, two things that they offered. Modeling. Um, but yes, yes, etiquette. So I went to etiquette school where oh you understood God. where the fork was. And Is that why you're to, such a proper lady? <laughs> that's why I'm such a proper lady, because I went to etiquette school. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> you don't think so, they exist anymore? 
they do, but I don't think this intense as it used to be. Like we all, we had of course a, a ceremony where we had to walk, wear white gloves, and sit wow. at the table like a, and use a full blown like formal million coming out party type of a thing. Yes, literally wow. a coming out of, and it was I was little when I did it, but well before teenage age, I was definitely in etiquette school as a in a grade school. Um, so the, the first few years of my training up until age 13 were very recreational based. Mm -hmm. uh, I enjoyed dance, right? I was good at it, but I wasn't really being trained um, well. Mm -hmm. I was being introduced to the idea of dance and modeling and etiquette, but I wasn't really training. And mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I wasn't training until I went to Sudbrook. And there was this formal idea of ballet. There was this formal idea of, of codified technique. And I was like, I've never, I've been doing plies all these years, but I didn't really know what one was. Yeah. I didn't know how to spell it. I didn't know what it meant. Um, this is so funny because it, it very similarly mirrors Robin's story. Mm -hmm. We went to a very recreational dance studio with like not great technique training, but she loved it and she lo you know, loved being there. But then when she started at Baltimore School for the Arts, she was like, oh, wow, this is, this oh is different. <laughs> this is not what I thought dance was, yeah. but I still enjoyed it, right? Yeah. So here's how they separated everyone the first day of school. Because there was no audition, there was no uh, measuring of whether a student could dance or couldn't dance. Mm -hmm. uh, but they had to put every child in a classroom. And by chance, because of the demographic of the school, there was a clear separation of, of, of white children and black children. And even though I did not have formal training, I had potential. Mm -hmm. But the 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 reality was that most of the white children who had applied to the school had training, uh, formal training prior to applying. Mm -hmm. So when they had to split the class of new dancers at this new magnet school, because the white children had access to a better training, they were put in one class. And because most of the black children did not have access to that kind of training, and I was on a line of, she's, she has potential to train, so we're going to see how she does in this group. But all my friends were in another class where they weren't necessarily training them. They were just doing creative movement and intro to dance classes for them. Wait, wait, so, wait, wait, wait. So, mm -hmm. so you're saying that they basically split the student body between the white kids who had decent training and the black now, kids. That wasn't the intention. That just happened that just to be happened what the reality be. was of the, of the group of people that they had, that most of the white kids had some formal training. And so they went into one class and it just happened to be that most of the black kids had never done any formal training. And so they ended up in another class. There was no intention for it to be a racial divide. Yeah. It was just the reality of the, of the information. Like right. either you have it or you don't. But you then have to put people in levels, but the black kids for the most part did not have the same level of information as the white kids in the school. Did they then give the black kids good technical training? They still got some information, but it wasn't as intense as it was in my classroom. Interesting. So you were in yeah. the class with the white kids? 
only because I had potential to be trained. Interesting. Because I didn't have much information. When, when, when we had our first vocabulary test, I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure I probably failed it because <laughs> I had never seen those words on paper before. I had right. never seen what plie actually has an accent. Oh my goodness, oh. an accent. Marked so I, the top of vowels. Oh Lord. Oh, <laughs> yes. And and then and then to be marked wrong if you got if you got it wrong, it's like, oh my gosh. So um it I struggled in the formal classroom because I didn't I wasn't as informed. I felt like I was always a step behind train mm -hmm. starting training late. But I still enjoyed the process. So all for most of my training, I was able to get enough information at Subbrook to be able to audition for Carver which oh, was cool. the high school for performing arts that had recently just opened as well. And so it gave me an, a, a door. When I got into Carver, I was placed in level two. And I was scared to death because I was like, I barely survived eighth grade in <laughs> ballet. How in the world did they think that I'm able to do level two work? Um, so I have always been on the line of she's trainable. She has the ability, but didn't have enough information. Yeah. So I always got put in a different group because I had potential to be trained. What did that do to your confidence as a dancer? To oh, I was totally in, uh, not confident with yeah. my training because I never believed that I knew enough information to be successful. But it always made me work harder right. to get the information because I was learning it like a baby learns how to walk. It was completely new information for me. So I've always been... I've always had the, the ideal body type, super skinny, long legs, short torso. Mm -hmm. So I have the ideal balancing body. Um, I had no idea what good or bad feet were at the time, but I was working on my feet. You know, I was trying <laughs> to make sure that I did everything that I was supposed to do. But I lacked etiquette. I lacked a lot of the polishing that the other students had because they had this information given to them on, on dance etiquette and how to act. And so... Right. Um, I struggled like, in that area, the expectation. The aspects of tradition, of yes. how ballet classes run, those kinds yes, of things. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. So I remember getting in trouble because I decided to tie my um, ballet shoes around my ankles like an Egyptian, sh Egyptian sandal. Oh, no. It, it was the elastic, not ribbon. It was a very much so a leather ballet shoe that has super long <laughs> um, elastic strings. And I remember my teacher saying, what is that? And why do you have your shoes tied like that? And I was like, it seemed like a good idea to me. I like, know, I it, didn't looks know. Cute. <laughs> it looks cute. But in my heart, I think I knew I was being a bit rebellious because yeah. I didn't, I couldn't catch on the way everybody else felt. I always felt like I was behind. So I'm just going to be silly. Or I'll just do this little thing to, to make sure that, you know, I still have fun while I'm sinking emotionally <laughs> in the process. Well, yeah. So, like if you're, if you're not getting any attention from the teacher for, for your dancing, you might as well get some attention for, for something else. <laughs> I bet she'll look at my feet today. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and she sure did to tell me to untie my shoes and cut those strings off of them. <laughs> oh my gosh. So my experience has been a bit different. I am browner than, uh, you know, so that we, there's a complexion question. So I am browner, but I've always been given or always been spotlighted to have this potential and so I was able to represent my school at high school dance festivals we were able to go and participate in these things and at Carver the this the energy is so open there really is no uh, bias or racism um, but there was always a clear picture that which now I look back and say 
um, our brown students weren't as trained as our white students. Mm. And so as I've gone along this pathway, I've thought like, well, why was there access to formal training at a higher rate than it was for the black communities? What was yeah. different about our dance schools and their dance schools that they came in the door having all this information? And it, it wasn't like their white schools didn't have black kids, but there were definitely black schools that weren't training as intensely as these other schools were for training. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big question in my mind, like, well, what, why is there a difference? And it, 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 I look back now and can say, why was there a difference? But at that time, I was just trying to get information. I didn't right. care where it came from. I was just invested in the technical journey mm -hmm. um, and being able to just adapt. So after Carver, I went on to major in dance in VCU. Um, again, a very liberal process. I never experienced any racism in the studio, um, we always just question like uh, the kind of pieces, you know, at VCU, you can choreograph anything. And we were like, whoa, in our minds, this is what dance is. And then choreographically, it was just a new learning. Like, ah, yeah. if we stare at a statue, then that's dance. I couldn't process that as being dance. <laughs> but clearly, if some people do. So it was just a difference of like, I like rock music versus R&B. It, it was really just that. This is what we are calling dance. And so it opens up your mind. As long as you're willing to learn new information, then that's, that's the key part. But that has been my experience as far as being a Black dancer. Um, but VCU exposed us to all the conferences. So we went to International Association of Blacks in Dance. We went to the Black College Dance Exchange. Um, when I first came to VCU, the only black faculty member was Sister Faye, the really? African dance teacher, yes. Um, I think that we may have had guest artists definitely that were, that were black, uh, but she was the only one on faculty, I think until my sophomore or junior year and then James Frazier came. Um, Good old Dr. 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 James. <laughs> yes, and he kind of put, the, put us back where we were supposed to be as far as our attitudes were concerned. So he was the one that checked us. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Said, he did that when can't. I was there, too. Yes. <laughs> and he was like, y'all can't act like this. But he became our mentor for what it looked like to be a Black dancer at the higher education level. He right. gave us that perspective to say, um, you know, we still have a lot of work to do and there's still a clear divide. He was definitely a person who influenced how we acted and how we presented ourselves to be sure that we would always what we call fit in mm. and not be denied access because of how we speak or how we act or that we weren't too loud or that we didn't um, behave a certain way to bring a negative perspective of what the black girl or black dancer is supposed to do and look like. So he was the one who snapped us back into shape to say, y'all are running amok here and you will not behave this way. You will come to class on time. You will dress in a leotard and tights. You will work hard. You will academically succeed. He was the one who kind of gave us that reminding that mm -hmm. there's work to be done. Yeah. Do you feel like that was almost in a way like molding you to be something that you weren't though? Were you like, um, no, assimilate? no, it was, no, it was just a cultural thing of the mother and the father of the community saying, uh, don't forget you're black. <laughs> it, it was, it was definitely something that we as a culture understood that he's our father. 
uh-huh. and we need to listen. Yeah. He, he's, he's pulling us aside to make sure that we behave a certain way because he understands what is expected of the black dancer in the, in the world of dance. And so it wasn't about being something we weren't. It was about understanding that you want a professional career in this way and you have to be able to present yourself in that way. There's no reason why somebody should recommend you by name. And these are just life, to me, these aren't necessarily black or white issues, but it's important that when in our community, when we see someone acting a certain way Mm -hmm. that could jeopardize the opinion that someone has of you, the um, expectation that someone has of you, we have to correct it and say, oh no, you can't, you can't be disrespectful to her because mm-hmm. she may have to write you a letter of recommendation. The issue is not black and white. It is that as a black person, the expectation is higher. Mm-hmm. And so we can't give anyone a reason to tell us no. We can't, right. the reason that someone tells you no can't be because you didn't write a good essay. It can't be because you're loud and rude to people. That can't be another reason why someone's going to tell you no. Let them tell you no because you weren't a good fit for the part, but don't let their reason to be no because you were nasty to someone at the market and someone else saw it. Don't let the reason they have to tell you no because of your bad attitude in dance class, because you show up late, because you're never prepared, you don't do your work. Let that not be another reason why someone has to tell you no, because you'll have enough things that people will tell you no for. Right. Let's not add to the list. It was more about a grooming that's to say that when they select you, you better not have any dirt behind your name. Mm-hmm because it'll make it 10 times harder for you and the person behind you to be accepted into this atmosphere, into this world. Right. Um, that, that we want to be a part of, but we have to know how to operate in it. Mm-hmm. We have to know how to operate in that world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So after graduating from VCU, what came next? What came next? I came home and I got a real job. Like uh, I worked for a title company. I stopped uh, dancing. I performed a little bit with Giselle Mason in DC. Um, So I still took dance and I taught dance, but I wasn't pursuing dance as a career. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you a little bit burned out on dance at at that time? Probably, but I also knew that I wanted to teach and not perform. Mm -hmm. Uh, Midway through college, I realized that my gifting was going to be in education and not in the actual being on stage. I had no desire to join a company. I had no desire to, um, and it wasn't burnout. It was just that I knew that the teaching aspect was more important to me than the performance aspect. So mm-hmm. that was a shift for me. And I think just trying to figure out where, where am I in this now? Is Did you, where, when you, when you had that realization or, or at any point in your college, um, in your college years, did you get the sense that teaching, especially in a private setting, like not in academia, not in higher ed, but like in a studio setting, did you get the sense that that was like, looked down upon almost like that was not no um no I never looked thought anybody uh I never felt bad about it I felt bad about telling my mom who suggested that I major in education and dance Mm. uh, that I had to go back home and be like I think I want to be a teacher that was my biggest she was like I told you (laughs) I told you so so you know 10 years later I be you know I got certified as a teacher uh, with Baltimore County, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't a, like I, I was selling out by not performing. I definitely knew I wanted to teach. 
Cool. Um, so the, the school was birthed out of a basement, uh, teaching dance ministry, actually, oh, to cool. a small group of people. And then uh, in the midst of becoming a teacher for Baltimore County, teaching on faculty at Coppin State, and then being an admin at Coppin, uh, <laughs> the Lord literally spoke to me and said, it's time to open a school. And I was like, no, I don't have time for that. I had ran a summer camp um, at, 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 a, at a private school. And after that, the Lord said, it's time to open a school. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. Cause I, I clearly don't have another moment in my life to run a school. Like, <laughs> why would I do that? <laughs> so I, I, I was obedient to the voice I heard and I opened the school. When I opened it, I may have had 10 students, uh, six who were related to me <laughs> and, and not, and not paying. And then the rest were like these four people who were their friends who, you know, believed in, the work we were doing, you know, we were just teaching. I just loved to teach. So I didn't care where I teach, who I, who, you know, where I taught, who I taught. I just wanted to teach. And so when our school first started, it was extremely diverse. There was a, a very big mix because our, our program was located on a private school campus. So the students of that program joined our program. Oh, cool. Um, so, and I, and I joke about this because I don't think any of us like, uh, decide to open up a black or white school. None of us went into business thinking I'm going to have a black dance school or a white dance school or mm -hmm. whatever. We just opened a school because we want to teach children. Right. Um, when we moved off of the campuses, when we saw a clear shift in who was coming and who stayed and who went. Um, and it wasn't uh, about whether or not everybody was treated fairly. It was just a shift in the community. So we went from one city to a different city and the dynamic of that city was just different. So the people were different where we moved mm -hmm. to our new location, um, which became too far for the people who were closer to the private school. Right. So it wasn't about um, them not feeling comfortable or anything like that. It was just a shift in the, uh, the community that we lived in. So our school now has about 400 brown and black children. Wow. That's right? so awesome. It's so awesome. And uh, but the you mantle have, you have two locations, is that right? We do have two locations, one in Owings Mills and one in Pikesville. So between the two schools we have about four hundred students. And it is a mantle to carry because I really do feel like I have to cover cover them as the as the James Frazier was to me. Yes, I have to cover them, and so we have a community mother here in in Maryland, Miss Stephanie Powell, who who well all over the world she is someone's mother in dance. Yeah, but um, as we open our schools, we feel like we have this mantle to ensure that our students are very well prepared for their next step. Now, I personally don't care who I prepare, but right now my assignment is 400 brown and black girls and boys who want this idea of dance, whose parents don't have that much information. Mm -hmm. So the educational piece in our school is, is huge because I want parents to understand the un the perspective of what training really looks like, that it's not just fun, it's just not a cute costume that we get to put on. But I do feel like I have this um, this mantle or this uh, assignment to cover them and make sure that they're well prepared for their next steps in the dance world. So we often talk about behavior and good grades and how you always have to be ready to present this picture of yourself 
uh, not necessarily a picture, but you need to live up to the standard of excellence so that when you go out, because our environment is all black, but when you go out into the world, we're, in, we're, not, we're not a majority. We're still very much so a minority in the United States and around the globe. And especially um, in the dance industry. Especially in the dance industry. So if, if the dance industry is so small, if we hear that somebody does bad or has a bad attitude, has a bad work ethic, man, that thing runs like wildfire. Absolutely. So we, <laughs> from state to state, continent to continent, <laughs> everybody knows that Oh, you worked with them before? How were they? What was their behavior like? And that's not a black or white issue. That's just a, you know, reality that our world is small and everybody's connected. So you really better present yourself in the best light possible. Don't let anybody have a side conversation about you that you are lazy or, you know, you have a, you know, talk back in class. Oh, no, 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 not your name. So, but it, it has been, a, it's, it's not a heaviness, but definitely a, very clear understanding that this is my assignment right now to cover yeah. these children and prepare them for their world in well, dance. And that's, those are such good lessons, not just for dance too. Yeah. I mean, that is so applicable for everything, mm -hmm. no matter for what everything. they decide to do when they, you know, go off after high school and, and leave your mm -hmm. studio, they're going to have those, those skills and that knowledge, and that's going to help them be successful at whatever it is that they, that they decide to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to veer off for a second. I'm really interested to hear more about your teacher certification and your special needs education certification. Yeah. And what that so was I like. have, um, I have a niece that certified through, uh, Oh Lord, the cover program is skipping my mind. Trisha Gomez. So rhythm works. I have a niece who's special needs and okay. forever I have been teaching children with, uh, autism because of my niece mm -hmm. and I was always interested in how a classroom was balanced and or accommodated different learning styles mm -hmm. and so when when I found Trisha's program it helped me just give a name to what I had already been doing I just mm -hmm. didn't know that there was a formality to call this that or you know it was right. like a new vocabulary so I was like oh I'm already making these modifications for students teaching in public school you of course are required to teach all children equally mm -hmm. um, and so I always felt the need to invite these kids who are in a special needs classroom into the regular classroom those who could be inclusive and teach them all together Wow. And teach in a way that they never felt like they were less than because mm -hmm. they didn't process information the same way. It was just my duty as a teacher to ensure that the special needs student received the information to be successful. And the kid who moved super fast still felt challenged in that environment right. to balance both. So now that's, uh, that's, quite a, that's quite a job. <laughs> it is. Really it is. Because you can technically have like six different levels in one class of 20 kids. Oh, my but God. It is our job as teachers to relay that information to all students in a right. balanced way um, so that they feel empowered to work at their level without it being obvious, you know, right. you, you know, so giving people grace to train and, mm -hmm. and humility to train without feeling in, insufficient in a space. Mm -hmm. So when her program when I realized that you could be certified to teach and understand from a different perspective, all the elements and different tools that you could use, I just said, this is perfect, let's do it. And so uh, one of my other faculty members, we went together to get certified 
and then implemented a program in Baltimore City to teach in a special needs school. Um, oh, that's awesome. But of course, this would have been our second year doing it, so we didn't uh, we didn't get to do it this year because of of Rona and all of her <laughs> her antics that she's uh, introduced to us this year. So, oh. but it. It is something that, I, that is near and dear to my heart because my niece, who is now graduating from high school this year, oh, yay. she has been in our program, of course, since she was a little girl. And just her progress over time to be able to see her in class and her comprehend the information to be able to stand with the discipline and, and focus. And she'll, she'll never be a professional dancer, right? That's not why she's dancing. But it has given her a sense of confidence and a clear ability to receive information and produce information under the pressure of a performance. And then, you know, with autism, the brain is telling you something totally different than what you're experiencing oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or that it's hyper uh, elevated. And so in stressful environments, she can be very much so like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. But now she's able to understand the process. And so it's a joy to watch. Whenever I see her make it to the stage, I'm just in awe. Um, because of the love that teachers have to ensure that she still has an experience that's unique to her, but that she still feels very successful when she gets to the stage. So I just really wanted to figure out how to make that happen for very different children who have just yeah. a little bit more uh, need to understand that they have this potential as well to learn dance and to present dance. So yeah, that's it. That's, oh, that's <laughs> beautiful. You're going to make me tear up. I love that. Inclusive classrooms, I really believe in them. So that is awesome. So is that a program that you run in your studio or it's separate? It is. From the studio? Yeah, we run a rhythm works program in the studio. Uh, really much so right now, very one on one because of the need of the student. It may not be a good idea right now to bring them bring in them in as a full class, but we definitely work with kids one on one to ensure that we even have students who we go to a regular ballet class for lack of better words. And then we pull them out of ballet to work on some fu fundamental things and then put them back in the classroom to finish out with their class. So it's almost like removing a kid for reading or math to get extra help. Yeah. And then we put them back in the classroom um, before the end of the class so they can still be with their community and, and grow in that way. That's great. Oh, I love that. So how, so is it just you and your one other teacher that's certified? To yeah, do that? it's just two, it's two of us in the building. We have a third. She's not certified, but she works for Baltimore City Public Schools and she mm -hmm. does arts integration. Oh, cool. So she has just, she has a classroom full of kids who are at different learning levels and she's required to integrate science and reading and history into dance. Um, <sighs> on a day-to-day -day basis. So she gets, so we use her as a resource in our program to ensure that our kids can thrive no matter oh, what the environment so is. I love that. Yep, 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 yep. That is so cool. Yeah. So, going, so going back to your earlier training, you grew up in a mostly black studio. Mm-hmm, yep, and yep, yep. your eighth grade, um, it was just eighth grade that you went to that magnet school? Yeah, because it was the first year it opened, and so my mom, yeah, and after that I was going to high school, so mm -hmm. Carver was the next step. Right. So for eighth grade and for high school, did you have many black teachers or were your dance instructors predominantly white? Predominantly white. I didn't get my first black teacher until I took class with Miss Stephanie. And I may have been in ninth or 10th grade at that time. And I thought, and she jokes this story with me now, that 
she was crazy. I was like, I never worked this hard in a dance class. I had gone through a summer, <laughs> summer intensive with her. And after ballet, I wanted her to call my mother to come get me because I said, I'm not going to make it through. I'm exhausted. This is just oh ballet. It's the first hour. But um, it was a totally different experience of mm -hmm. training. When I say intense, I was like, who does? I had never taken class like that before. Wow. And I was like, is she trying to kill us? What is, <laughs> who acts like, who does this? It was so beyond my comprehension. And she was like, I said, can you call my mom and tell her to come get me? She said, no, you're going to get to that bar and you're going to do what you're supposed to do. And when your mother picks you up, it'll be the end of the day. So I was like, okay. So <laughs> I went, I, I made it through the two weeks and did the show at the end. But I definitely was trying to run out of that room because I was like, this is, this is intense. But it was, that was the black dance experience. Wow. That was the black classroom that we're going to get in here. We're going to twirl. We're going to dance. <laughs> and so, yeah, you got to get your leg up. Yes, you have to be able to do a split. You got to be able to do your doubles. You better focus. You better not talk. It was a whole different really? I, was, I was completely in shock because I had learned in this very... Uh, formal, quiet, and, you know, point your foot and pull your, pull your, uh, lift your tailbone. It was, it was just a different delivery. Yeah. And in, in, in this classroom, it was like, no, this leg, let's go. <laughs> why, are, why are we yelling? What is going on here? What is happening? It was a totally different experience in, in the different classrooms. And I just wasn't used to it. Yeah. It went from, uh, dance for fun to formal training that was very much so in, in based in technique and, and, and terminology. And, and then it was Miss Stephanie's class that was intense. It was hard. It was challenging emotionally, physically, but it was like training camp. Wow. Now that I look back at it, it was definitely training camp to say, you're going to have to get in this room and work. So it, it, it just, it was new. It was new to me. I loved it still. I didn't care. I, honestly, I didn't care what anyone was saying when they were training me. I was like, let's dance because I didn't yes. have it. But I definitely was scared <laughs> <laughs> of, of the environment. I was like, what in the world? We had to take ballet, jazz, tap, hip hop, African, all in one day. I was like, where do we, who does this? Who's doing this and where and why, why? All with the same individual teacher or did you have multiple? No, we had multiple teachers. Okay. Multiple okay. teachers during this two-week intensive. And at the end, we had to perform in all the genres with our class. Wow. So it was something I had never experienced because at Sunbrook, we did ballet, we did jazz, we did modern. Um, at Carver, we did ballet and modern. Mm -hmm. And that was it. So I hadn't been exposed to African dance at any high Ooh, level. It is so hard. It's so hard. So oh hard. God. So hard to do. Ooh, it's I, had, I had no clue. I had no clue what, you know, this idea of the black world of dance looked like. And, and, right. she, and she did. She knew that her kids needed to be trained to do everything. Yes. They had to be able to tap. They had to be able, because again, it was the mindset that you will not be chosen because you did not have. Right. right. We're going we're gonna to give you everything you need to succeed. And there will be not, if you get denied, it's going to be because you weren't good for that part. Right. It won't be because you weren't trained well. It won't be because um, you had a p bad attitude. You're, we're going to give you everything you need to ensure mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. that you have a seat at the table. That's awesome. What was it like transitioning from recreational black studio with all black teachers to a more um, etiquette based technique based experience with all white teachers? Was that um, what, a jarring transition for you? It is a transition. Um, and the biggest transition is how white teachers spoke to black children who had more curves mm. in their bodies. It, it became an issue of body image and how we speak to students who have a bigger bust or a bigger butt or wider hips. What kind of or thing? telling were you here telling us well for my friends who were much remember i was skinny mm-hmm. um my best friend even she had really what we call bad feet stiff ankles mm-hmm. um uh, one of my other friends had a big butt and you know the language was tuck your butt mm-hmm. uh can you wear a different bra so your boobs don't look so big oh my god and it wasn't it wasn't intentional to be evil or mean It was just that at that time, no one knew how to talk to dancers in a way that didn't make them have poor body image of themselves. And so something across the board. Yeah, I think that's something teachers still struggle with. Very much so. So, But what happens is, uh, what I understand about my black dancers is that their butts and their busts and their guts aren't going anywhere, right? right. You can't tuck them away. I can't, you can't tuck them away. <laughs> so how I speak to them and encourage their training to not think of this is my butt and what am I going to do with it is really about talking about their bones yeah. and how their muscles support. Yeah. But what happens uh, still now in a, in a lot of classrooms is that uh, white teachers don't know how to speak to the black children about their bodies or they just don't know how to speak in general about the body so that children don't have uh self-confidence issues body image issues that or or what we hear now that my teacher told me that i'll never get on point because i have bad feet well i have a whole bunch of black children with bad feet they just because naturally they're more flat-footed their ankles are stiffer Um, So we have to work really hard to get them on point. It's not that you may not ever make it to point. Here's what you have to do to make it. And if you really want it, you'll do the work to make sure you get there. But there are other environments where teachers um, will just give up on them because they already have this pre-bias that if you have stiff ankles, you'll never get on point. Especially if you're a black girl with stiff ankles. Yes, if you're a white no girl with stiff you. ankles. We can work with you, but if we you're can a work girl with, you. with stiff ankles, you're a lost cause. You're a lost cause because you may have stiff ankles and wider hips. Mm-hmm. So you'll never, you'll never be in a ballet company. Why should we train you that way? Just go. Let's just go do modern. Let's just do hip hop. Let's just do tap because you'll be a better fit in that environment than you would in a ballet environment. Right. So that's the implied racism, the implied bias mm-hmm. that because I have a thicker frame. Um, I won't be accepted into this, this standard because I don't fit the standard anymore. I had, I had two students who, um, who, who left my program because they were moving to, towards DC area. Mm-hmm. And um, both of them were very hyper-focused to do ballet. 
and I and when they were making this transition, I wanted to be sure that they trained somewhere that was going to prepare them for the world of ballet. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I won't say the name of the school, uh, <laughs> but I, when I sent them to one school, uh, I had done some grant work to interview different schools that were seeking state money to operate their programs. So I, when I went to do the grant work, this is before my students were recommended, I went into the building and the director showed me around, you know how we have to put on the whole show because the lady here with the money, I didn't have any money, but I was sitting on the board to make a decision about who's gonna get the money. So yeah. she had all this stuff to show me. And then she showed me the wall of all the dancers that they had trained who were now in professional ballet companies. And there was one black girl on that wall. Oh. And she was so fair in skin that I really had to look twice to make sure that she was black. But then I looked again and I said, you know, oh, there is one. Because from my perspective, I, I'm, I'm looking at the school as a possibility for two of my students. Right. Will they be included? Right. Will their training be as intense as everyone on this wall, mm-hmm. even though they have thicker, thicker thighs or they're a little broader someplace else. So I had two girls, one was brown skin like me and one was fair, very tiny, slender. Um, the brown one like me had a, had a balancing body, but she was thick, not fat, just, you know, her thighs were thicker, mm-hmm. her proportions were thicker, but she was strong. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, if we talk about fat and skinny, she was not fat by any means, but she wasn't super slender either. Mm-hmm. But she would easily have a career in dance and be successful because she's a strong right. technical executor. So when um, when she was telling me about the program, the director, she mentioned that um, she said when kids audition for our program, if we don't believe they'll be a good fit for ballet, we will recommend our modern dance program to them. So off the bat, if they didn't believe they fit the bill of ballet, they will be recommended for something else. So someone gets to decide who is perfect for ballet and who is not perfect for ballet. Interesting. When my two students went, the fair skin, smaller build black girl, she was offered a seat in the ballet program. My brown skin girl, who was absolutely made for ballet, physically could handle the intensity of ballet, her body was built for it, was told that modern dance would be a better fit for her. Mm. Because they're concerned about training the next dancer to get into the ballet companies because it it validates their program. It validates to say, if you train here, we'll be sure that you get into ABT. We'll be sure that you go to San Francisco Ballet. We can ensure that you will get into the top ballet companies if you train with us. So we can't put too many people in our... They take on a student that might not. That's a risk for them. It's a risk for them. But who, who loses in that situation? The student does. The student does. And if we send 10 black kids to you and you only take one because she has the ballet aesthetic that you're looking for, then all nine of my other students, what happens to them? They go into a less intense program. Their focus and attention is not the same. They become the modern dancers of the world instead of the ballerinas of the world. And so there is this implied racism that's happening where because our black girls are not what the world sees as a ballerina or they may mess up the white ballet how dare we have to look down the swan lake line and see brown legs 
it just messes up the preconceived of what Spawn Lake is. Right. But are, are, are they being denied the spots because they aren't technically sufficient? No, they're being denied the spots because they will mess up the aesthetic of what it looks like. Right. What it's supposed, what it has been, what it's supposed to be. And so, people, people in the dance world and outside of the dance world talk about how we need to evolve what a dancer's body is. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to happen on its own. We like no. we as educators we have to do and it. creators need to be the people who make that change happen. Yes, so that program had a perfect opportunity to initiate some of that change yep. by taking on a darker complexioned, thicker dancer in their ballet program, and they Correct. threw that opportunity out the window. That's so. so when when the mother came back to me and she said she was excited because her child had been accepted, just not for ballet. And I right. said, doesn't your daughter want to pursue ballet? And she said, she does. And I said, so why are we accepting a modern dance invitation? I said to her, I had to then be honest with her as a mother, mother to mother, director to mother. Um, if you send your child here, they will absolutely not be pushed the way they need to be pushed. Mm. They will not get the attention that they need to be successful for what her dream is. So I had to find a black school in that area that would accommodate her, who I knew would build her up to have confidence in that kind of environment mm -hmm. where you won't be chosen because you're black. I needed, I needed to then be very honest with the mother and say, if you send her here, she will be lost. Mm. She will lose her confidence. Right. She will be criticized because of her body being too, too thick, too strong. So we have to find Ain't a place that shit. will. You're too strong. Anything. You're too, you're too strong. strong. And that's a bad you're, thing. <laughs> your, your, your bones are too broad for ballet. Huh? Well, God gave me these bones. What am I supposed to do now? I can't. Right. So then the child begins to think that they have something wrong with them. That in, for, for children, that process is I'm fat. They don't process my bones are too big. They think that they are physically too fat. So then we have another issue of eating disorder. Mm -hmm. That if we continue to promote that your body isn't right for this, your body isn't right for that. As a teacher, that's not my decision. Mm. The child comes to me and says, this is what I, this is what I will, what I want to do. My job is to train them. Will it take longer for some to get where they want to go? Absolutely. Is it the reality that some of them will not make it to a ballet company? It is. It just is what it is. That's the world of dance. Everybody ain't going to get picked. Everybody isn't going to be trained well enough to be in that part. Mm -hmm. But it, are they being told no because of race or are they being told no because of ability? Right. Technique, technique training. So when we think about uniformity in the world of dance and uh, when we look at the ballet, are we thinking, oh, everybody is trained the same way? Or do we look at ballet and say, oh, there's a black girl right. in the ballet? I supported one of my uh, teens. She played Mar Maria in the Nutcracker and she goes mm -hmm. to a, a all white dance school that's ballet focused. And when she, uh, when she played Maria, when I went to sit in the audience, you could tell 
that this was the first time, and she was, she was the first black girl to play Maria in their ballet. Wow. But the audience, the energy of the audience was like, we're going to let her do this this year, but this is never going to happen again. Mm. Like this, we are not going to, we're not going to have a black Maria every year. Wow. You could feel it. It was like, oh, she did good, but let's just get back to our normal way of, of operating and we're going to go ahead and have she did not wear flesh tone tights. She wore pink tights mm. as Maria. She wore pink ballet shoes. And um, for me in 2020, why can't Maria's legs be brown? Right. Even in a predominantly white uh, school, why can't my brown girls wear tights that match their skin tone? Yes. Or any, any other complexion because all white people aren't pink. That's so right. why, why can't all students wear a color tight and a color ballet shoe that, that makes them feel like they belong in the space? Mm. Yeah. And those, that's something simple that as studio owners, especially with diversity in their studio, that's one small change you can make. Take pink tights off the table. Sell the, sell the tan tights. Sell the dark brown tights. Sell the ballet shoes in your studio. Don't. Send, don't send that brown child to the store when you sell tights in your building. Yes. Sell tights for everybody in your building. Mm. Learn how to pancake the shoes. Make the children feel like they have control over their body image and that they can feel good about wearing dark brown ballet shoes with brown tights that match their ballet shoes and that their costume straps, you know, when even the costume yes. companies... They only sell this, they don't sell clear straps with it. They only, they make the costume with tan straps so that they look nude on, on a white girl. On, right. On so like I the have, palest white girl. Uh, right, right. Like whose complexion is this? Whose <laughs> complexion is this? So I, we have to pancake our straps when we get them. And so if we pancake them, it means we can't return them. Right. If something goes wrong with that costume and we have to return it, we've already pancaked the straps. We have to make yeah. sure the costume is simply perfect before we alter it. We have to evaluate this entire costume. But in my, in my, the perfect solution would be just to make clear straps for all of them. Right? I, a lot, I have actually seen more costume companies doing removable straps in mm -hmm. so you can replace white it, girl yeah. tan or clear. Mm -hmm. but, I hate those clear straps. They're so they, they, and they they're so shiny. It's sticky. They they and they don't um they don't attract uh, well, address yeah. well. Yeah. So it, it so what is the solution? Do you just make costumes that are more universal? But you know, it's it's based on a majority, and and the majority of costumes don't need that level of altering. Right. But if we want to be inclusive in the diversity of all kinds of dancers, mm -hmm. then even they've made exceptions for children who have sensitivity issues. You know, right. uh, Wiseman's now has costumes that don't have sequins on them, that don't make children who have sensitivity issues feel uncomfortable in that costume. Mm -hmm. But my brown children feel uncomfortable in a costume that doesn't match their skin tone. Even the lacing, you know how when it's, when it's supposed yeah, to look the, nude? The sheer panel. Yes, the sheer panel. We, I have to go and, and spend hours and paint that panel in so that it matches their skin tone. So right. if it's a beaded costume, I have to figure out how to make this sheer paneling match their, match their skin because it looks absolutely crazy to have a tan 
sheer right. on a brown skin. Yes, they look like, <laughs> you know, they look crazy. So I'm like, this is an extra step. Tons more hours invested in preparing for the show versus them being able to focus on their dance. We got to focus on whether or not the costume matches the skin. And right. this is something simple that can be done and the, white girls, and the white girls don't have to worry about that. They don't. They the get their costume. The white moms don't have to worry about it. They don't even think about it. Right. But even Indian, um, Hispanic girls who have right. a darker tone, how do we ensure that the people of color, the brown and black girls, still have the same level of equality in their training, mm -hmm. in their dance wear, in their, in their ability to be pushed? I know a lot of, uh, I've talked to a lot of white teachers who are scared to talk to black children. What? They're scared because they don't know what to say, or they're scared that they're going to say the wrong thing and be offensive, or they're scared mm -hmm. that um, the typical black mother is going to yell at them because they asked their child to do something and they just don't want the confrontation. And so what happens with that, like a black child in a white environment can behave poorly and no one ever correct them because they're scared to correct the black child out of fear that they, the stereotype is that we'll react or we'll yell, we'll cuss somebody out. If you touch my child, if you do this, for me, that's just a mother. If you do something <laughs> wrong by a child, yeah, you may get cussed out because you did wrong by my child, but there's a, there's a level of fear between a white teacher and a black child, a black child training. There's a level of fear in talking about hair because we don't know enough about hair. Right. So we avoid um, enforcing hair, hair styles on black children because we don't know anything about their hair. Right. But there's a level of education that uh, white studio owners or white teachers have to do to, mm -hmm. to learn about the hair so that they can guide that child the right way. It's just important that we, if, if you do have children of color in your studios, that you do understand the history. You have to understand uh, Pearl Primus and her journey, Catherine Dunham and her journey, Alvin Ailey and his journey. Why did he have to start a school? Why did Arthur Mitchell have to start a ballet school to train the black kids? Why couldn't they just go to a ballet school? We have to see why these things exist and why this standard exists because there was a time that the resources were not available to us. And when they become available to us, they're so watered down. Mm. They're so, you know, we're going to do dance today and dance is nothing like it's, it should be, you know. So Arthur Mitchell had to create Dance in the Harlem so that brown children were able to be trained the same way the white children were. Right. They had an equal playing field for their training. And, and, but that's why the foundation is so important. But in order for the, for the uh, implied racism or for the lack of uh, sensitivity to happen, there has to be an education. They have to absolutely go back and see the journey of the black dancer up until today to understand what, what has happened to black people training to be performers mm -hmm. and how have white people made sure that didn't happen. You think about Josephine Baker and she was right. fair in skin, right? Mm -hmm. But, and she danced professionally, but there was always a fear that they would find out that she was black and potentially die because she was black performing in a white club. You right. know, that, that if she didn't, if her, 
if her company members who were white didn't protect her and say, you can't perform tonight because I think they know you're black and you can't perform here. So we're going to send you someplace else for this show because we don't want you to die. When you understand that journey of a black dancer, right. then you can understand why and your obligation to, to protect that black child in your studio just a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Because even though you may not be racist, you can't guarantee that the students in your school are not racist. And so what do they say to that person of color in, your, in that space when they don't know? How do they talk about their hair when they don't know? And so as directors, it's our obligation to understand that history right. behind the journey, which yeah. means that we have, to, we have to be prepared for those children of color in our school and, and prepare them for the reality. Do we want to have to have this divide? Absolutely not. We yeah. want to be able to just teach children as they are, but there is a divide. And I'm finding that when I, when I even get black students who have come from white schools, um, I'm flabbergasted. I'm like, girl, why isn't your hair up? Nobody ever told me I had to put my hair up. What do you mean? No one told you to put your hair back. And then you realize they were afraid to tell you to put your hair back. Wow. They were afraid to tell you to wear this kind of leotard, to wear this level of support, to help your body look a different way. They were afraid to have the conversation because they didn't know how to approach the conversation. So it's easier just to say, oh, you're doing really good. Oh, excellent. You're, you know, you're really succeeding. And then they come to me and I'm like, girl, you're a hot mess. How come you're 13? No one ever told you to, you know, to wear this kind of tights they have on. It's just, a, you know, it's just a mess. But the reality is that there, there has to be a lack of communication or understanding or that there is a hyper level of fear that we have that we aren't, teaching these children as children we yeah, teach and I them. wonder if it's I wonder if it's it, it's a combination of like the fear and the the lack of understanding and knowledge but also like not wanting it to look like oh I'm mm-hmm. picking on the black I'm kid. picking on the black kid right, right. all right I'm it's picking, like that you know that, that optics <laughs> one thing that's super funny and this is about hair um, and I want to talk about makeup a little bit too uh in in my studio if you, we can't wear scarves in our head on our heads to dance. We can't wear like do rag or right. you know like you're going to bed at night to protect your hair. Right. Uh, so, but what happens is because of our hair, we have to put a lot of moisture in our hair, and so when uh, they lay on the floor for modern dancer, lay on the floor, that, there's that usually this shining a little <laughs> grease spot is there, and I I literally say to my kids, if you leave a grease spot, you need to clean it up. What do you like, use you to clean it up? You just rub it like if with a sock, it'll just come up if you just okay. keep rubbing it with a sock. But they, I have to teach them to re- be responsible right. for their grease spot. Right, because that's slick and some of my fault. That's slick. And I was like, you will not be the black girl in the room making people fall because you didn't clean up your grease spot behind yourself. It is, it's the stupidest thing ever to me, but I absolutely have to tell them to clean up their own grease spot. That makes you so will, much sense. It, but, but would you ever know to tell a black kid that? Probably not. No, no. Or I would feel uncomfortable about bringing uncomfortable it up. Uncomfortable about it. Right. Right. I wouldn't want it doesn't to, have to be. I wouldn't want to offend or point out like, oh, this child Correct. is different because she's black and she needs to do this in front of like, I feel like in in a class of all white kids and that one yeah. black child singling them out for any reason is bad. Is it's bad. It's bad. Right. But it, so, and it's the language. So you put lotion on, I put lotion on, right? Yeah. So then the university of that is, 
let's be mindful of what we put on our skin and in our hair. This is before, this is so, if there's a grease spot, if there is a grease spot, you can say to another child who's not black and say, did you put too much lotion on today? <laughs> you know, and say right. this, you know, it doesn't have to be so, oh, they're black and I don't want to be offensive. It has to be a conversation of we all have oils, right? We right. all have oils and we all may leave a grease spot because you, you know you're not supposed to put lotion on before class starts because you may leave a slick spot on the floor. Right. But when it becomes a, oh God, the black girl has an afro and she put oil in her hair before class. These are conversations that typically white people don't know how to have with black people. Right. But there's a level of education. And like there's there's the understanding that black women especially are very like protective and absolutely. And and like the hair is very important. And so for a white teacher to say something Mm -hmm. to a black student or a black parent about their child's hair, it's like it is not my place. It's not. And it isn't. It isn't because black children in general, even when you have students in your school who want to touch the black child's hair or they say, oh, your hair is different or your hair is pretty to be, you know, for for you to be black, your hair is really pretty. (laughs) Or uh, how come you can wear cornrows in your hair? All those things are sensitivity issues that um, it requires white people to know. Mm-hmm. that this is not okay. Cult, for our culture, it's not okay. I don't, as a black child, I can't even touch my best friend's hair. <laughs> like, you, once your mother does your hair, your hair is done. Right. You better not touch it. You better not come home with your hair undone and your mother have to ask you, what happened to you today? And you say, my friend was playing in my hair. You're punished. You don't, you don't. So hair is a sensitive topic. It definitely is. And I believe hair should be polished. So uh, I was reading about Ingrid Silva, and she said in one show, she has three different ballets to perform. One wants her hair in in a bun, one wants her hair in a French roll, and one wants her hair out. Well, she has an afro. Oh, my gosh. And she said, in 15 minutes, I've had to learn how to go from a ballet bun to a French roll to hair out and still look fabulous. Wow. I mean, so, I couldn't do that with my hair. I don't like. <laughs> listen. And so it, it is, it's really hard to, uh, to have the conversation, but then right. that's when you get education and you bring someone in to talk about the black hair. Mm. Say, I, I don't know how to do short hair, but I, w- I went and did some research about how to pull short hair into a bun. So I did, the, I did my part by going back and saying, um, this is what, oh, this will work for this student. This will work for that student. You give resources to the family. If you don't know, ask a black teacher, how do I get my black kids to pull their hair back? What can I tell them? Um, I've had uh, teachers who teach at the high school level say, you know, because weaves, weaves are a big deal now. Kids get, mm-hmm. high school students get weaves in their hair. How do you pull a weave back and still look professional? Right. I had to I had to write something about this to give to the students because there was a sensitivity issue. The white director had to address black kids about their hair. Mm. She doesn't know how to do that, but she did reach out to a black person who wears a weave, who absolutely pulls their hair back professionally, right? To be able to in, to to initiate the conversation about hair in the dance studio with the black children. Like you just have to be willing well, to ask. 
So in a, let's, let's say there's a, a hypothetical dance studio, white studio owner, maybe she only has two other instructors and they're both white, mm -hmm. um, but she's got a handful of black kids. How does that studio owner director address hair with those black students? She brings in a guest artist who is black. She hires a black teacher. Okay. Um, and that way they can stand in the gap until there's understanding on both sides. Okay. Someone has to wave a white flag and say she's not, be the black person has to wave the white flag to the white side and say she's not, she's not being offensive. She really needs to figure this out. Right. And the black person communicates to the black side to say, you need to listen to her. She knows what she's talking about. Someone has to stand in the gap. Interesting. Someone has to stand okay. in the gap. But if you do have black children in your studio, you have to find a black teacher. And yes. if, if, if your, your school is predominantly teaching ballet, especially you have to find a strong ballet black, a black, strong ballet black teacher yes. to be able to give representation to that student. Yeah, that's so if important. you have pictures on your walls or any of them of brown dancers, mm. even, if, even um, professionally, beyond Misty Copeland, who right. do you have on your wall to be a representation to the black and brown students in your studio that they can achieve it? That if you work hard, you can achieve anything, but they have to be able to see themselves that right. way. Because when it's I when so I want hard to reach so hard. a goal, if you have no model, no model. If, if you have no model that this is possible, showing you that yes, you can. Hey, I'm like you, and I can do this, so you can do it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's important that you have that representation there so that you can groom them the right way. If you are grooming kids for a collegiate journey that they're going to college and you have black students, you need to know what programs are going to fit them best. Right. You have to do the research. You cannot recommend um, your black students to programs that will not nurture them, mm -hmm. that will not in embrace their body. You have to know where to send your kids and who will truly invest in their training and their journey. Um, but it, re it, it really starts with education and mm -hmm. just learning, learning what has happened and why it's happening. I think so, m so much of the issues around race in dance, to, to me, my perspective is that white people for so long have been the, um, the colorblind. Yeah. Like being colorblind is how we deal with race, but that doesn't work because no. black people and brown people, like race is an important part of your identity mm -hmm. and we can't not see it because if you don't see it, then you're not seeing this person for who they fully are. The, the only person who, the only person who does not see race is God. There you go. That's it. And we it, as humans, we see that we see differences in people. Right. And, and it's so like, Oh, everybody's all the same. There's no differences well, between the races. That's just not true. There are differences not true. and there are important differences. And it's mm -hmm. not that one is good and one is bad. They're just different. They're and different. Educators need to acknowledge those differences yes. so that we can better serve our community. Mm -hmm. We don't acknowledge mm -hmm. those cultural, those significant cultural differences, then we're not going to be able to serve our students. And Not so in the full capacity that they need to be served. So many white right. people are so, so resistant to acknowledge those differences because it, mm -hmm. it, to white people, it feels like that's racism. Mm -hmm. But it's so not. Somehow, 
It's not. It's, and it's not and it's not that they're racist. It, that's the implied racism that it's been this way for so long. Right. And we're not going to shift because this is tradition. But the tradition is an implied bias against a certain culture or race right. of people. Those implicit biases are so, so damn sneaky. And they everyone, are. And everyone has them. Yes, they everyone do. Even, them. even the in the black community, we right. have there's implied racism against white people and implied racism from white to black or from white to black or, or white to other cultures or black to other cultures. Right. We all have these implied ideas in our head about white people about black people, about Hispanic people, but it's right. those quiet ones. Those, those, quiet, those, those little, those little those back of your little, head thoughts, yep. those little, yeah, those little grains of sand back mm-hmm. there that mm-hmm. muck up the gears in your brain. Yeah. There's like, we need to acknowledge them and identify them so we can mm-hmm. eradicate them. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not going to get any better if you don't acknowledge those implicit biases within it. yourself. Yep. And I think what's so important about what's happening in, in the, I mean, it's on international scale right now. What's, what's mm-hmm. so important about this time right now is that conversations like this are happening. Yes, yes, yes. And we've been, International Association of Blacks and Dance, um, ha- we've been having the conversation, but because of the social injustice that happened with George Floyd, now everyone is listening. Mm-hmm. All ears are open on how can I be more diverse? How can I be more aware? Mm-hmm. What can I do to fix it? Was that me? Did I have this implied level of racism happening and I didn't even realize it? Right. Now all ears are open mm-hmm. to begin a real conversation about how do we make the change. Or, or they should be open. <laughs> Yes, they should be open. It's definitely on everybody's front door knocking right now. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know, our community is, is, is thrilled that we finally get to have this conversation out loud. Like we, we've been having it, but it hasn't had any fuel to it. And now we have, there's a platform to say, stop. Right. Stop. Pay attention. Change. Yes. Study. Include. Speak. Listen. Yeah. And then join. Join in. If you see something happening against a black or brown child, be bold enough to stand in the gap for that child. Be bold Mm -hmm. enough to cover that child so that they can have the same experiences and the same opportunities without a bias. If you know they auditioned for something and they got picked because that role was traditionally white and one of your black students auditioned, challenge it, challenge Mm -hmm. it. Forget the relationship. Forget that you always send your kids to audition here. If you find that your black kids are coming back not being accepted time and time and time again, number one, why aren't they being accepted? Mm -hmm. Are they being pressed hard enough to get in, to sit at the table? Mm -hmm. And if you find that you're sending your kids to a specific program and your brown kids are coming back, be bold enough to go to that director and say, what is going on? None of my black kids ever get into your program. Why? Yeah. And that's hard to do when we talk about finances. Mm-hmm. When we talk about uh, relationships. Right. And having an in that, you know, my kids always go here. They always are accepted here. But what right. about you? Are don't you, wanna, you don't want to rock the boat. You don't. But somebody has to rock the boat. Somebody has to be willing to rock the boat for the brown and black kids to say yeah, if you don't enough. rock, if you don't rock the boat a little bit, the boat's just going to stand still <laughs> or, the stand tide still. Is gonna, or the tide's going to take it backwards. We got to rock the boat to move forward. We have to rock the boat to move forward. 
Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's, and what can you do? It's just small. Yeah. Begin to recognize that there's an issue and then make clear decisions against what you've been trained to believe for so many years. Mm. Just make small steps, sell the tights in your store. Yes. Let them wear stuff that matches their skin tone. Absolutely. Read, join the organization. Uh, for IABD, International Association of Blacks and Dance, you can become a member for $200 for your entire school for a year. Oh, wow. And your, your students also hold membership under your umbrella. That's great. So everybody can be part of the organization. Everyone can receive the emails about, like they've been doing Zoom calls to talk about issues. Um, everybody is invited to hear the conversation that we're having and That's then wonderful. to get more information from it. So IABD, IABDassociation.org is a great resource to start. That's awesome. They have a full page of where to buy skin tone tights and leotards. Who sells them? They have. Oh my God. Getting yeah. new. I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing pretty good on tights. Like, and uh -huh. like the dance, dance wear industry as a whole has definitely mm -hmm. gotten a lot better about offering a range of skin tone colored tights. But finding an, like an undergarment nude leotard that's not mm -hmm. just white girl pink is, oh my God. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to do. It's but so if, if studio owners required it, the manufacturers would make it. I send, I have a scheduled reminder in my phone three times, there's a three or four, I think four times a year to send an email to every dancewear vendor that I have a relationship to request a wider range of new leotard colors. Of new leotard colors. Yeah. So if all of us did that, if and I've never, I've never even done it. I've literally accepted it as what it is and never right. even thought that I could do that. But when I hear you say that, I was like, I can do that. I can put a Absolutely. reminder on my phone. Just send an email. But if, if all of us did that, then it would, it would change. Or if all of us said we're not going to buy it. Right. We're not going to buy from you anymore unless you begin to make this for all people. Right. Hell, in, in less than two weeks, we've gotten Band-Aids in all colors. Crayola is finally making crayons that, you know, that are multicultural crayons. You know, it finally. 2020. <laughs> 2020. 2020. And the power of the voice. It's not money. It's not um, that's changing the dynamic. It is people gathering and demanding change. And that's what is needs to happen in order for change to happen. Now block is saying, Oh, we have a shoe. Grishko, we're going to make shoes. It was on our agenda. Mm -hmm. Oh, but now it better be on your agenda. That's right. It better. Yes. It better be part of your marketing now that mm -hmm. yeah, we will. I, I don't, I don't want to have to keep teaching my kids how to pancake. I want them to go to the right. store and just buy, buy a the, shoe that the matches right color. Them. Yeah. Yes. Buy the shoes that match you because they are for sale. We don't have to alter them. We don't have to figure out how to make the ribbons match your skin tone. But it, the more we band together as studio owners and demand mm -hmm. that the manufacturers make the change that my students are now required to have this mm -hmm. and you need, and you need to sell it. Yeah for them that is and that's a simple four times a year reach out if we all right reach out on the same day the the impact of email would just stress them out right? right phone calls it would overwhelm them and they would say this is a priority if we spent one day collectively across the globe calling capizio or block all right, all right listeners all right <laughs> all like 
What two day are we? Two dozen people who listen to this podcast here in New York. Every single dancewear vendor that you have a relationship, or even that you don't, you know, find a company, send them an email, make a phone call, demand a phone call. that we have a wider range of skin tone yeah. in our tights, in our undergarment leotards, in our in the, in performance the bras, in yep, the yep. adjustable straps in your costume, mm-hmm. in the sheer paneling of your costume. Yes. Yeah. Deep All right, listeners, that's it. That's your homework. <laughs> that's our homework. In that's charge the with start. the mission. <laughs> that's, let's start there. Let's just join together and start standing in the gap. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Darby, what do you wish white studio owners knew? Um, I wish that white studio owners knew that they don't need to be afraid Mm. of learning about the black culture. Yeah. Learning about their black students and what makes them tick. Um, I want them to be more confident to ask for help. Yes. Yes that they can ask for help and no one is going to shoot them down because they don't know. That's what I want them to know that I I wish that they knew that it's okay to not know. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to ask for help to navigate it because it's new. Right. And I, and I, I think our community, our DSO connect community group is a great place to go to ask those questions. Yep. Do you agree? It is. it is. And if they have questions, send them. Send them to me. Send them so that you can get the perspective that you need to make the right decision. There you go. And I will always stand in the gap and wave the flag to both sides to say, no, this is what the industry requires. She has to comb her hair. Right. She has to take her braids out because the choreographer wants flat hair to the head. You know, it, it is no longer... Um, I, I will always stand and wave the white white flag between the two sides to say you need to listen and you need to you need to be mindful of how you're saying it and here's what you need to say. But at the same time, for the other side, for my side, to say I respect you because you have my best interest at heart. Yeah, so you're not telling me this just because I'm black. You're telling me this because it is what the standard of the industry requires of you. Right. Uh, right. Take the black white issue out of it if both sides understand. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Darby, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Yes, yes. I really, really appreciate your time and all of the emotional labor that you've put into having this conversation. And I know that. um, Thank you. Like, I think it's so important to open up this topic so people can actually talk about it and learn. Yeah. Yeah. And so learn. Before, before we go, we like to close our podcast with sharing something that has made your heart happy in the past week or so. So what's oh, what has happy? made my heart happy is uh, being able to reunite with my students for outside class, being Yay. able to see my babies dancing and connect with the parents again. Um, that's been the hardest thing through this whole COVID yes. COVID um, nineteen process is missing our studio family and so that's been my vitamin d is seeing my kids and connecting with them even though we still can't touch we are still closer than we ever were and my heart that's great that's awesome 
I think my um, heart happy moment in, let me think. <laughs> oh, you know what? The other day I made a beautiful salad using only things that I had grown in my garden. Oh, I so what was in the salad, <laughs> And lettuce and radish Ooh. and carrots. Yes, it was like such a, a, I mean, let me be honest. My boyfriend's doing most of the work for the garden. <laughs> like to reward the rewards also. But it was so nice to like sit down for dinner and be like, huh, we made this. It dinner came from the back I love it. I've never grown anything in a garden, so I would me never. Neither. <laughs> I am not. I'm not a plant person. Oh, good. I can barely keep myself alive most days. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, uh, but yeah, it was very exciting. It was very. Exciting. <laughs> All right, Darby. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really, really thank you. It. It's been so lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much, Casey. Love you, girl. We see Love you. you. Bye. Bye. Before we go, I want to remind everyone that our virtual retreat is coming up right around the corner. It will be July 14th through 16th, three days full of amazing content for studio owners and teachers, so you can bring your teachers along with you. For more information, check out the pinned post in the DSO Connect community group on Facebook. There you'll find a link to more details and our sign-up page. We can't wait to see you.